What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Honda. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. What's poppin'? Real ones. Motherfucking Mondays, Logan Murdoch here, Raja Bell there, Howard Beck in the cut. In-season tournament quarterfinals, we are here. Howard Beck has a really, really, really nice uh, feature that I'm going to read after this recording called the NBA in-season tournaments real test begins now. You know what, Howard, what was the gist of your piece and where did you, what is the conclusions you have come to so far watching the in-season tournament as we get to the quarterfinals. Uh, hello, fellas. Good to see you. Um, so what's happening? <laughs> so the by all metrics that the league is keeping, right? Yeah, you know, fan engagement, you know, use of the app and NBA League Pass, obviously ratings, attendance, all that. We've had seven nights tournament games. Pretty good so far. The uh, the story is about basically like this is this is really the the true test now, right? Quarterfinal games. We're, we're recording this Monday afternoon. Quarterfinal games tonight, Tuesday night. Then we get to the semis and the championship in Vegas, right? So this is where it really what it really comes down to: how engaged, how excited are the fans and the players themselves about this, about winning this this cup that I have semi sarcastically, snarkily referred to as a trophy invented five minutes ago. It's going to be awarded Saturday night. How are we going to feel about it Saturday night? Like that to me is the true test is, is this week's uh, games and the NBA, they, they know this too. Like this week's games, what the fan response is, is, is kind of the key thing here. And ultimately back to this kind of like existential question I've been posing for the last several weeks, which is how much stock, how much emotion, how much investment do we put in this NBA cup? What does it actually mean to win this thing Saturday night? And the team that wins it, how will they feel about it? And will we still be talking about it the next day? Or are we back to just like fake Zach Levine trades 
and, you know, obsessing over all the other, you know, usual NBA minutia of, of December. But uh, talks to uh, a, a professor at Murray State who has studied fan psychology for 40 years about the idea of like, you know, how do you how do you get people excited about something you just invented? Um, so that was fun. Uh, just a, and a lot of little interesting nuggets in there. So, yeah, go check out the story on The Ringer. The thing that I have loved about the in-season tournament, at least thus far, is the buy-in. Now, me and Howard are obviously in arenas a lot during this season, and we just assume everything is bullshit, right? We assume everything that they that 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 even to start, we're trying to sell a, a tournament. But I have loved how the the players have bought in, the coaches have seemed to bought in, and it is honestly, you know, translated into great product on the floor and to your point we're not inundated with constant trade rumors it has been about the game throughout the most part now it doesn't mean that trade rumors don't exist right it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that i I don't i don't believe that that's not in the case but to have basketball with some level of stakes whether artificial or real has been fun like i i like that early in the season now the ratings have gone up uh because of that because there's something to play for Raja, how, what does it take to scratch the competitive itch for an NBA player? Like, what is the thing that you have seen that has been kind of done in this time for players to be competitive in a tournament that's otherwise a gimmick? Yeah, I don't think it takes much, not just for for NBA players, but any professional, you know, athlete. Um, that's it, it, just you know, your life is based on competition. So, you know, you put, you put a championship or, you know, an in-season championship on the line and it's not like you can opt out of it. So this is something that you're going to have to do regardless. Well, if we're here, well, we might as well be trying to win it. Um, you know, and then obviously there, there is financial incentive to win it. And depending on what you make, that would affect how incentivized you are to make the bread, I guess. But I, I think, you know, we talked about it last pod. LeBron, LeBron can find someone in, in his family or in or in, in in a charitable way to 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 take the proceeds, even if he don't need them, and, and do good with them. So, I don't think it takes a whole lot. Raja, if, if you were on the team that won it on Saturday night, right? You're in Vegas. You've just won the first ever NBA in hyphen season tournament. Let's call it the NBA Cup, please. NBA, just call just it the call NBA the, Cup. Just next call year. it the NBA Cup. Just call it something. Anything without a motherfucking hyphen, please. Um, <laughs> Raja, you're standing there on the court with your teammates. Yeah. Confetti is, I assume, confetti's falling. I don't know if there's champagne chilling in the locker room or not, like on on NBA Championship no. night. But like, <laughs> what do you suppose you would be feeling about winning that? And how long do you think that feeling would actually? last would you want a banner raised at your home arena for it like what what are you thinking about a championship that you just won on december 9th with a, with two-thirds of the season or more yet to play like what i'm, I'm very very curious what the player not, emotions would actually not be. Mu- there wouldn't be much emotion i i think you know you would obviously celebrate it because you'd be getting a trophy and they're going to have some sort of presentation out there so when you know when that atmosphere is in place. There's going to be at least a modicum of celebration. I, I don't think you go back into the locker room and pop any bottles. I don't think that's something that you hit the streets of Vegas later that night and just, you know, party till the sun comes up. I don't think there's any of that. Um, 
I don't. I think players would be doing that regardless, wouldn't they? It, I mean, possibly you were in Vegas, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean, I, I you know I, a, a banner. No, I mean that's just not. We're, I, think I don't it think the on NBA, the team. No, I think it depends on the team. Well, I, I do yeah, see a, a couple of teams in the league putting up a yeah. season tournament banner. A franchise, maybe, but a. Pl- I don't think the players are conditioned to really give a shit about it right now. If that makes sense, yeah. like outside I, of the scope of just trying to win it because it exists. I don't think that they're like, yo, put a banner up for that shit. Like not a player at this point, maybe a franchise. I, I was looking at it through that lens, actually, guys, like um, of the teams that are still in it, right? Like the Celtics have been to the finals recently. Jason Tatum doesn't care about winning an NBA cup. They, they need to get back to the finals and win a championship. This is a team with championship aspirations. LeBron James has already won you know, four actual championships. Like The cup isn't going to mean anything to LeBron. I, you know, he what's he just say? Oh, I'm the, I'm the we're the first team to ever win it, and that's another thing I can put on my rep. Like he doesn't care about that. But like the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, the Kings, Darren Fox and Sabonis, like the Pelicans, like the teams that have never won anything, franchises that really haven't won anything of note in recent history or maybe ever. Maybe that's something for them. Like I'm trying to to look at it through a positive lens here. I think certain <laughs> teams that are younger with younger stars, it's like. This isn't the goal, but this is a sign that we're coming, right? So maybe if I'm going to find the positive spin, I think it's it's there. But I really do think for like the veterans, the guys with championships won or championship aspirations still now, yeah, I just don't see how it 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 means that much to them. Maybe the Knicks. Maybe the Knicks in there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, not as a city, but as a like as a yeah franchise that hadn't, hadn't tasted a whole lot of success. You know, uh, I don't lately. know Howard can Howard can 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 answer that question. But what would Knicks fans think about a, about an in season tournament championship? Honestly, not guys, the fan, despite, not the fan, despite, not the fan. <laughs> despite everything that Knicks fans here have been through, despite especially the last twenty years of what they've been through, I don't, I don't think them winning the cup would actually like. I, I think most Knicks fans would be like, yeah, this is this is fine, but when are we getting Jalen Brunson more help? Cause we don't want to go out in the first round or the second round, right? Like I can Riverside. I, I I don't think Knicks fans it's funny because on the one hand, they haven't won a championship here in like almost 50 years, or maybe it's exactly 50 years. Um, but <laughs> I the the Knicks exceptionalism is real. And they're going to look down their noses, I would think, most of them at, a, at, a, at an NBA Cup. I would think so. It's it's beneath this franchise, even if this franchise hasn't won anything in a very long time, because of the pride that is baked into Knicks uh, fandom and the Knicks uh, itself as a franchise. And, and New York uh, in I, general, as a, as a whole and New York in city. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. a little bit of that. exceptionalism here. No, yeah, I don't think maybe. the fan, I don't think the New York fan gives a shit about that. Um, but I do think as a franchise... You know, and as a as a young nucleus or a relatively young nucleus and roster, like it might mean something to the building. I I think the championship here, honestly, in the end season tournament, it's honestly just attention and relevance, right? You talk about a team like the Kings who are trying to come into their own and actually make a mark in this league, or the Pelicans for that matter, right? It puts them on a national stage, right? And it 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 puts it gives them some sort of relevance in the season. That's what the I think if there was anything that was missing from the early season um in past years non in season tournament like it's that the the casual fan 
isn't a casual basketball fan isn't watching a Pelicans team or a Kings team or a Pacers team this early in the season just because maybe they'll get one national game a season. They're not following their trajectory throughout the season. And this is a good way to market your players, right? And that gets into my first um that go gets into the first matchup because I want to talk about somebody that is uh, that is benefiting from this, at least on a national scale. And that is Tyrese Halliburton, who is a really, really good basketball player uh, and is kind of coming into his own. Raja, did you see this from him, you know, in, in previous years? Did you see this type of performance and this type of player consistently, right? Like he could be the fucking, the most celebrated player since Reggie Miller if he keeps on this trajectory, it seems like. What have you thought of Tyrese's game and where he can take the Pacers? Um. Well. You know, honestly, like in his younger years, I would keep it a buck, man. Like I wasn't like locked into watching Tyrese Halliburton. It wasn't like that was must watch TV for me, but I was familiar with this game. And I think he falls into the category of player. We touched, we touched on, on, um, on De'Aaron Fox the other day. And I, I gave him his flowers for his dedication to continuing to grow his game and, and um, not relying on just the physical gifts and, and what clearly he could just do rolling out of bed, but like really sharpening that skill set. I think Tyrese Halliburton falls in to that ca- category of NBA player that clearly is a workaholic, like clearly goes into the gym all summer um, with the strategy in place and things that he wants to work on to continue to grow his game. And he did that. And, but, uh, but more, more, more than that, I think he falls into the, the type of player that just needs that opportunity to kind of, you know, stretch his legs and, and, and open up and, and have the responsibility. And, and I talk about guys all the time in the league that you might not know that, but if you gave them the ball, they could do some really cool stuff with it. If they had the platform to do that. Now I'm not saying they'd be Tyrese Halliburton because I believe he's a level above that. Like a guy who does that on a, on a bad team. I think he's a, a guy that could do that on really, really good teams. But the point is if he doesn't have that platform, it doesn't have that kind of, you know, canvas to just go, go crazy on. Like you might not know that you might not know that he could do this. Right. And so, I mean, great, great for him, obviously great player, but man, sometimes what your career winds up being is dictated by the situation you fall into, or you don't fall into the franchise that you go to or don't get to go to. And, and, and then the circumstances that follow, man. And it, it's just been a great situation for him on top of who he is as a player, the work ethic that he's had being to be, being the guy in that situation, you know, has allowed him to grow in, in, in ways that I, I don't know that I saw him being a 26 a game guy, honestly. Howard, when you see this Pacers team, you're more on the, you're on the East coast. You probably see them. You see them a lot more than I do on the West coast. How do you, uh, what do you think about their trajectory right now and where they what they could be? They have Rick Carlisle. You know, they seem like they're building something right now in Indiana. What do you think about their trajectory going forward? What are we going to see on this national stage from this team? They're fun. And by the way, one of the benefits, and Logan, you kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago about the tournament is this. The Pacers only had, if I recall correctly, one tele- uh, nationally televised game on the schedule when the season started. So that was it. They were going to be on national TV once, despite having a player in Tyrese Halliburton who is playing. I'm not saying he's an MVP candidate because the record's not going to reflect it, but like he's putting up MVP type numbers. He's a really exciting player. They're a really fun young team. And 
they weren't going to get much national notice based on the schedule as done over the summer because they haven't been that good. Well, now they're getting that stage, right? As long as they last this week in the tournament, this is one of those teams that absolutely benefits from the creation of the tournament. Um, look, they're, they're just, uh, they're just on the come up. So I, I don't think we should expect too much other than, wow, they're really interesting and they're fun. They've got the number one offense by a pretty good measure in the NBA right now, 123.8 points per 100. Um, and yet they are 29th in defense, defensive efficiency. That's Roger's kind of team right there, baby. <laughs> I was going to say, hello, Mike D'Antoni sons or uh, Doug Moe nuggets from back in the eighties. Um, they're just like that, that shootout they had with the Hawks where no one's playing any defense. That was a tournament game that everybody was, was, uh, all, all in, in awe of. Um, th- guys, they have the 10th best net rate. The Pacers have the 10th best net rating. They are a top 10 team in net rating despite the 29th rated defense. That's insane. Uh, they're the, the five man group of Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Obi Top, and Miles Turner. Is plus twenty seven per one hundred possessions. Uh, that would be second only to the Celtics starting five in uh, with a minimum of one hundred and fifty possessions. Um, they're really freaking good offensively, and that 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 group of five I just named is really freaking good. Uh, and Tyrese Halliburton's on pace for like career highs across almost across the board. He's leading the league in assists, eleven point eight. He's only twenty three years old. Like I think the sky's the limit for him, and then the question's going to be, as it often is with young teams like this, or with you, where you've discovered a young star. Like, okay, who do you who do you get next? Who can you surround him with? Can they play any deep? Like Rick Carlisle is a defensive minded guy. How can they build a, a, a respectable, sustainable defense? Because if they can at least get, you know, this will sound familiar to Raja. If they could just at least get to middle of the pack defensively with the way that they score, they'd suddenly be pretty damn good. Yeah. Roger, what's the most important thing that a team needs to have at this stage when they're building? And what are the pitfalls, right? Because it's a, it's a, it's a balance you have to have, right? Because you see potential and some teams get a little greedy and say, "Hey, we're going to just make we're going to push the button right now." What's the balance you have to have? And I don't I don't think Indiana is one of these teams, right? Howard has alluded to this in previous pods of how patient they are. Uh, also, you know, just and and how slow they can be to build something. But what is the most important thing that you need to have as a franchise in this time of your trajectory? Um, man, uh, there are a few things. I mean, perspective, obviously, like understanding. You know, while it's while it's fun and 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 it's really good, like exactly where you are in terms of a championship window, you know, and under understanding that is important. Uh, then you know, patience. If you if you deem and and that you are. Probably not a championship team right now, but you're electric offensively. But there's still things, you know, that you're going to have to do to to Howard's point. Like maybe roster wise, um, you know, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Rick Carlisle. I think I think it's easier in today's NBA to be a great offensive team and start there, and 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 get the buy in from players on that side of the ball, and then maybe build defensively a little bit. Like, you know, because he's always been a defensive first guy, right? I've you've never seen him coach a team like this, but I think he's evolved. So having some patience, um, you know, and then culture, having culture in place so that as you're bringing pieces in or you're tinkering with it to figure out what works around Tyrese Halliburton and whatever your core is, um, 
you could withstand someone coming in who culturally isn't maybe aligned or if they're not, when they first get there, your culture strong enough to get them in line. Like those things are important to a young team because as you, you know, you move pieces out, you're ever, you're that, that chemistry experiment is, is, is changing, right? Like you're changing the amounts of ingredients and so on and so forth. And so that recipe, um, could be off. So you got to have culture in place that keeps it steady and keeps, keeps everybody kind of understanding exactly how we do things wherever we are. Now they're going to go up against a juggernaut in the Celtics who, in my opinion, I think they're the best team in the league, uh, the most deep team in the league. Uh, is How should they be approaching this regular season, Howard, right? Because they are a juggernaut. They do have the best team. They do, they do have something to prove, which is something that we uh, tend to see, I think, about the uh, 0809 Lakers in this regard, where they just want to mash on everybody. What is the most important thing that they need to keep into perspective at this stage in the season? It's a good question. Um, in some respects, I feel like the Celtics, like they're this, they're this uh, veteran contender that is like always in it. They've been through a bunch of these long seasons before. They like they know you got to pace yourself a little bit, all this stuff. But it's not the same team, right? Like with Porzingis and Drew Holiday there now, I think that that's actually kind of uh, re-energized them a little bit. It's given them a little bit of different look and feel, so it doesn't just feel like. All right, we fell short again. What do we do different this time? Um, and Drew Holiday is there with championship experience. Uh, Porzingis just brings a, a whole bunch of new elements that, that this team hasn't had before. Obviously, he's been he's been banged up. He's missed a few games recently, but um, like they're. I think the interesting thing and in the and the the credit to them right now is here we are on December fourth, and they have had some injuries already, but like they're not pacing themselves. They're not like playing this as a, oh, we're one of those teams that we know we're playing for May and June. So let's, they're on pace for like 64, 65 wins, which is, it's starting to be unheard of in this era of parity, right? Where you just don't run away from the pack. Uh, I think you're right, Logan, that they are the best team in the league right now. I mean, to be determined over the next, you know, 60 more games, but they're, they're off to the strongest start by, by record and by appearance and by, by everything else, um, you could assess. I think I mentioned a, a minute ago uh, the the ratings for some of these starting or these these five man units. The Drew Holiday, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Chris Stapps, Porzingis unit is plus twenty eight per one hundred. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. So I you know I like where they are. They obviously they got to get Porzingis healthy. Al Horford still good, still good. Um, so you like make Roger want to get a ten day. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Howard sees uh Al Horford uh stats, he just goes out in the back and just shoots seven hundred jumpers. Man, <laughs> can't walk for five days after that. <laughs> what do you, Raja, what do you at this stage and it's a different it's a variation of the question that I had with Indiana, but at this stage, Howard alluded to how the Celtics are just got a bit of an oomph in them, right? Sure. And they're not letting their foot off the gas. And my question to that is, why would they? They haven't proven anything. Well, how important is it to keep your eye on the ball at this stage when they have they have a lot of playoff experience? They also have a lot of experience losing in the playoffs. So yeah. when you have this new blood, how important is it to it to be to not get rest on your laurels and get fat on your laurels and be like, I mean, we'll be fine in the regular season. How important is it to just keep your foot on that? Um, well, it's, it's important to keep, 
to keep things like in perspective again, I'll use that word because you know, you can mash on everybody and as long as you're not celebrating, you know, breaking the record that is whatever Golden State's record right now and then exhaling, like you're fine. Like as long as you realize like we're going to just mash on everybody on our way to a championship. But some teams, you know, you you typically see it with 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 younger teams. So I don't know that Boston falls into that like when they're just coming out of the gate, they just want to prove to everybody they're the best team in the league. And once they get regular season best team in the league, there's like this celebratory exhale and they come out and they fumble the bag in the playoffs, you know? And so as long as there's perspective, I, I'm fine with them keeping their foot to the pedal and just night in and night out, you know, mashing on people. But I come from the camp of, you know, if I had to err on one side or the other, I, I, I would I would err on the side of like, look, let's play our best basketball leading into the playoffs. Like I, I believe the NBA season is a very, very long season and very rarely do you see a team just wire to wire it and like and they're playing their best basketball in in, in November and again in June. Can you dig what I'm saying? Like they might be winning games, but in in November and in June, but they might not be playing as well in June as they were in November. Like you typically sure. you typically for me would want to be like, you know, we're winning games because we're we're really good and we got it figured out and we're just, we've been around this block, but man, we really start hitting our stride kind of later in the season going into the playoffs. That's what I would like, you know, in a perfect world. But if you're telling me Boston is just that locked in, they got their eyes on the prize, which is the championship. They can, they can make sure they get the adequate rest and still win all these regular season games and blow through the playoffs. I'm, I'm okay with that. Keep your eyes on the prize though. All right, cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Like my team, the Suns, I'm going to take them to win against the Lakers. I'm also going to take KD to hit the over. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tinder Wrap today. 
Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. When we talk about the ebbs and flows, and I want to go to the West Coast now because I'm gonna I want to talk about the game that I'm going to tonight, uh, Kings Pelicans. But when you talk about the ebbs and flows of a season um, early on, I always think about the Pelicans, Howard. When I think about um, you know team meetings that are actually that worked, I think that right? worked. Man. That worked. Team meetings that worked. What? Well, Roger, yeah. What? What the hey, hell is going listen, on here, man? It's, 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 it's uh, one of a few. Yeah, a very few. You, I. I I, I'm cautious to. I always have cautious optimism when it comes to the Pelicans because I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Howard, are you waiting for the other shoe to drop with this team, or is it is it have they finally righted the ship? I mean, righting the ship there is is I think two things. One is like just having Zion healthy for for the entire season or most of it that that would be riding the ship right like that would that would go a long ways toward the pelicans actually being the team that we've thought the last couple of years that they could be he's played 17 games so he only needs 12 more to equal his total for last season i don't mean to laugh it's not it's not funny injuries suck um and he's been through a lot um but like his career high is 61 games in that 2021 season so like i think that's the one where you're holding your breath all the time right like just just let zion williamson stay healthy for an entire season so we can see what these guys actually have and you know look to that end like cj mccollum just had another scary collapsed lung incident that's the second time for him in the last couple of years so he missed a bunch of games so the the part one of of the pelicans to me is the they just have to stay healthy because they've got stars who who are hurt a lot and they've had a bunch of role players who've been hurt you know trey murphy just got back um, the part two is, okay, if we get a nice solid couple of months with Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Trey Murphy, the entire cast available, what's the chemistry actually like? Because I think the, the curiosity about this team for the last couple of years, or at least ever since they got CJ McCollum is how, what's the distribution of, of, of the offense? Not just shots, but ball handling, right? Ingram's great with the ball in his hands. CJ is, is kind of a combo guard who operates with the ball in his hands. We've seen point Zion and he's, he's really good at that. And I think he's averaging around five assists a game. How do they, how do they manage that through the course of a game? How often do you just have, you know, one or two of those guys out there? Zion has already talked about how they've had team meetings where it's about like trying to just be part of, of, you know, the parts being greater than the sum and, and, and having, um, and, and finding his place in it without overdoing it. And I think to his credit, Zion Williamson, to me, from the games that I've seen, doesn't look like he tries to force it too much. And you could, ex- given his talent, his standing, being a number one overall pick from a few years back and all the games he's missed, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see him like wanting to just like try to make up for a lost time and, and really force it. He doesn't do that for the most part. So like, this is a team that I think at full strength, has potential to be like top 10 net rating, top 10 uh, offense, top 10 defense. Like they've got the fundamentals are there. They just have to stay healthy. So in the abstract, I'm still really bullish on them. It's, it's just kind of holding your breath all the time. Roger, what is a, uh, you got two Gen Z kids, a few Gen Z kids. Uh, what is a team meeting like in, 2023 is it like a twitch stream or some shit like what i don't bro i don't listen i don't know man i don't know that the language would certainly be stuff that we did we, we couldn't really you know decipher but um you know i think all of those you know look if if 
if you come out of a team meeting, I would say this just to echo what, what, what Howard said. If, if you have a team meeting and you fall in the category of teams that that team meeting was really, really productive, then, then you have the ingredients to do something cool. Like you, you have, you have the pieces in place to be able to, to do something cool. Cause typically those things don't end well, like it's a mess. And so I would just, I would just say that to what Howard just said on when he said he's really bullish on them, if they can figure it out and everybody gets healthy and stuff like that. If you come out of one of those team meetings, regardless of, you know, what it sounds like in there and it's productive and you guys are moving forward in a, in a positive way, then, then you've got, you've got at least the right stuff in, in the locker room. Well, it's the biggest thing that they needed to get out of that team meeting or get get right more than anything was a partnership between Ingram and Zion Williamson. Now, if you look over the last few games, um, you know they. If you look at the offensive rating when them two guys are on the floor, it's among the best in the league. As opposed to a month ago when Howard was on this program talking about how you know it, it's it's terrible. It, it it may be unsalvageable, right? What have you seen from that partnership, and how did they like? How do the, those two guys coexist, and how does it? How does a team meeting help with that? Because they, they've been doing really well since they have gotten together and said, "Yo, this is what we do. This is what we don't do." How how do how do you fix those intricacies in a hour long meeting amongst friends? Well, I, I don't know, but I think I, I think the onus coming out of a meeting like that is going to be on Zion to to probably make some slight concessions in terms of you know what he's trying to prove and the time that he's trying to get back which you can't get back anyway and so you know I got to give him a lot of credit because that's not an easy thing to do to be you know the number one pick miss as much time as you missed be just ready to go and prove everybody you know that prove to everybody that you are what you're supposed to be and then be asked to kind of balance playing with like a Brandon Ingram who's going to score a lot and, and a CJ McCollum, you know, when he's healthy that, that that has the ball in his hands. And that's that's not always an easy thing. And he's done it pretty well, at least since the meeting, they figured out kind of how to make that work. And so what what is said in there to to get that to happen, I don't know. But I do know that the dynamics with that team being you know, relatively stable, at least personnel wise on the, on the court and Zion being the piece reintegrated into that, it kind of falls on him to be the guy that's like, okay, I can make this work. Okay. I, I see it. Uh, and I'm mature enough to kind of understand it and, and do whatever I can do to make this work, to give us the best chance. And he, he's, he's done that um, coming out of that. So you got to give him a lot of credit. Let's go to Macramento where they, the, the Kings seem to, they're trying to use this season as a big one fuck you to the rest of the NBA for doubting us last year and our record, which you know I stand by all the criticisms that we all shared. But this team is looking to take the next step. And I think they're using this in-season tournament and all the things of the relevance that we said of getting on a national stage. I think they're trying to use this stage to show America that they want to get to a championship level uh, at least status, right? Now, whether that happens remains to be seen. But what can, you know, Howard, you've been around the league for a long time. What can a platform like this do for a team like the Kings with aspirations that are pretty huge? I don't know if they're going to be able to reach those aspirations, but they at least want to get there. I'd be tempted to put them in the same category 
with the Pacers, except the Kings had their breakthrough season, right? We, we went through an entire season of, of, of beam lighting um, and everything that we got to get you it. to golden one to see the lighting of the beam got, in person. Really it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Can I, can I, if I finally get to a Kings game at, at the new arena that I've never been to, it is no longer that new. Can can I light the beam just by showing up? Because it's like I mean, I you got like, clout and sack. I think you can light the beam, Howard. <laughs> I think you can do it. <laughs> um, they had that epic, epic playoff series against the Warriors, right? They're Northern California pseudo rivals. I say pseudo just because like these teams have never been great at the same time, but like that was that was awesome. So I feel like the Kings coming out party kind of already happened. And I think to the extent that that this week might matter to them, like I don't, I don't dismiss it entirely. Like the Kings raising a cup on Saturday for, again, a franchise that's never done anything. Also might be one of the Sacramento. franchises that raised the in-season tournament banner. I'm just saying. I, I will say during back during when I was covering the Lakers and, you know, here it was like, it's the Shaq and Kobe are they're winning championships. They're raising banners. And like the Kings were the first team that I noticed had raised like a Pacific division banner. And I went, Oh, oh, that's there's that that's famous weird. video of Shaq, like pointing at up at the banner at the yeah. Pacific division banner. And he's like faking, like he's feigning fear. Like he's like, Oh, Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, I'm not, I'm not big on banners that are like, if you make like at least win the conference, I don't know, like division banners in a, in a, in a, in a league where divisions don't, nobody even talks about divisions. Nobody cares. Um, so no, I, I, yeah, the Kings would, all due respect to the Kings, great franchise. I, I, they, they might raise a cup banner if they win it. They might. And, and, and listen, fine. They haven't won anything. They're a young team. They are on the rise. They have a promising future. They need to learn to defend. Um, but it would, it would be, it would be a moment for them. It would be a moment for them. And those fans are as passionate and as invested as, as any fan base in the league, they deserve a little joy. I was happy for Kings fans last season that they finally got to uh, to have a season like that. Um, and this would this would be kind of building on it. But again, like I, you know, the day after the cup is is done, you know, everybody's going to be talking about playoff positioning. What have you seen from De'Aaron Fox, Roger? What do you like? Everything, man. What do you mean? It's electric. And do it as do it as. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's the perfect, it's the perfect offense and, and kudos to Mike Brown for, for, for just unleashing him. Um, and, you know, we talked last pod again about how more well-rounded his game is than when he came in. And so, you know, I just, I, I like everything he does. I, I like the pace with which he plays at. I like the, I like his ability to keep his defenders off balance. Like, you know, his, his ability to, to create has gotten better. And so you've just seen a guy kind of mature, and grow into a, into just a fantastic NBA player. And I do, I do think it means something to Sacramento. I do think it means something to like the deer and foxes. When you guys asked me, like if I'd be celebrating after a, a, a cup win, I mean, no, but I think a team like that at, at the, at kind of the place where they are as a franchise, I think that, I think that does mean something. Cause I think they are one of those teams you know, when you ask me about the Celtics, that's out there like, yo, we're just we're just trying to prove it to everybody on any given night. Um, you know, hopefully they too understand and keep it in perspective what 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 the ultimate proving it to everybody would be. But you know, they're they're on in their arc, they're at a place where I could see that cut meaning meaning more to them than 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 some of those other teams in in, in the quest for it. You brought up Mike Brown, Raja, and I want to stay on this really quickly because it, it reminded me of. When you said about we talked about Carlisle, Rick Carlisle, and the adjustment as a mm-hmm. coach 
to be able to, you know, facilitate growth and and a side of the basketball, a side of the court where you're not really known for, right? Like Mike Brown, we all know, is a defensive-minded coach. In fact, it probably irks the shit out of him right now the where the Kings are defensively. But what about the what what credit could you give and what does it take for a coach to be able to a complete overhaul of the way you see the game and the way you're committed to coaching it? Like it, it does. I mean, it's a complete ph- philosophical change you're from one end of the spectrum to the other to go from, you know, a, a defensive minded, probably in that realm, you're looking to slow the game down and grind it out type of coach to like, yo, let's go. Let's get up and down. Let's run. Let's get as many shots at the basket as we can as we can get. So you've had to completely change your philosophy. And I just say, you know, Mike D'Antoni used to say that, you know, only one team's going to win a championship. And if you're going to potentially fall short of that, at least let's be fun to watch and 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 be exciting, you know? And and people kind of laughed at that. And I, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I, I can dig it. But the reality of it is you'll get dudes to keep wanting to play for you if that's your style. Like dudes want to do that. They want to get up and down and run and get a bunch of shots up and score. When you're just preaching defense and it's not winning, I mean, a practice that is a defensive practice by nature is a grueling, beat you up, meat grinder of a practice. So if you're out there doing that day in and day out and you're not winning, you're going to lose people quickly. Like if you're playing an exciting style and you're getting up and down and boys are getting to do what they want to do and maybe you don't get over the hump and you don't win, you don't lose people nearly as quick when 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 that's your style, you know? So I give both of them credit for, for I mean, Carlisle and Mike Brown for being able to make that adjustment. I think, you know, I don't mean to sound like an old curmudgeon, but I deal with kids, you know, every day. This This generation of kids, it's harder to coach them in that defensive mindset way you know because that that is that coach is a mf -er. he's a in your face tough jerry sloan want to fight you type of bell yeah you can't and you can't (laughs) handle you can't handle those kids like that now they don't respond to that so like you know kudos to them I got, I got a quick question for Raja on this actually because I was thinking about this with the Pacers and it's the same thing with the Kings like these are both like supercharged really fun offensive teams that both have defensive minded coaches who have not really been able to make an impact on that end so far so the Kings are now are uh, they're 19th in defensive efficiency right now they were 24th last season Mike Brown made a big deal in, in, in preseason about wanting to change that about making them a good defensive team because that's the, all they have to do again. If the Kings are just even middle of the pack defensively with their offense, they're onto something. So I want to ask you this, Raja. Is team defense, good team defense, about A, hustle and grit, these cliches we like to throw around as, as media and fans, B, coaching and scheme, or C, players who are actually good defenders? Like if you're going to have a good defense, is it about the coach and his scheme? Is it about this idea that it's just it's just got to want it more? Or is it about having players who are actually good at defending? I think it's a combination of coach and scheme and wanting to do it. I think the least okay. the least important thing is having great defenders. I mean, you can have a great defender out there, um, and if no one's behind him helping him in the right way, he you're still going to get 50 scored on you by by a better offensive player. You know, so like I, I really do think it's about having some sort of scheme in place and then getting the buy-in from players, which goes into the willingness to do it. 
to try to execute that scheme, right? And no, we might not have the greatest two defenders on the planet, but we got a bunch of dudes that are committed to making these rotations and, you know, whatever our philosophy is, they're committed to doing it, provided the philosophy sound. And I think, I think that's where defense, you know, where, where good defensive teams live. Hey, it, helps if you, it helps if you've got good talent defensively, but I don't think that's a requirement. Raza, what's an example of a team that what didn't necessarily have good defenders, but was a great defensive team in your eyes? Do you remember any of those? Ah, oh, man, dog, you're putting me on the spot. Um, mm, no, <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the early be- part of the Warriors' run, I think everybody was shocked by how good they'd become defensively. Right, even when, even before Steve Kerr took over, you know, Mark Jackson had gotten them to be a really good defensive team before Kerr came in and. and kind of energize the offense. But like that was a team where you looked at them as the young that's Steph, fair. young clay. Um, yeah, but they also had Dray- like a they had a bogey. They had a they had a Draymond who was gonna and go Iguodala. down as a history. It's like and Iguodala. Yeah, but Draymond had Draymond wasn't that guy yet. And Igadala came along somewhere along the way. I don't know. Yeah. I just no, remember but you're that right. being a team that they, surprised they, people. They weren't full of guys that you were like 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 the the Pistons. Like right when when you think of the Detroit Pistons, the Rip Hamilton, Rashid Pistons. Like, there was a bunch of great yeah. defenders on that team. You know what I mean? Like, they were they were defensively just sound and physical and guys that would lock you up individually as well as buying into the scheme. Like, Golden State didn't look like that on paper. They didn't have a bunch of guys that you were like, yo, man, we got to figure out how to get him off of X, Y, and Z because he'll just lock him up. They didn't have that. But, exactly. And I guess when you ask me that, Logan, it kind of flies in the face of what I just said. But I really believe in having coached younger teams and stuff like that. And, and I, I don't... I don't think you have to be hella talented to defend. You just have to you have to really care about it and and put you know put like have some pride in it. And yeah, you got to be in the right spots and your coach's philosophy has to be good. But man, if you'll just care about it and really try, I think it can overcome some things, man. Uh let's uh let's go to, to New York. What's the vibe of of the New York, we alluded to it earlier in the pod, but Howard, you're on the ground. What's the vibe around New York, around this team? Like, it, it, how's the how is the Garden in the couple of times you've been there? What, how do they feel about this specific team? I, I think they feel the same way about it. They felt the last couple of years. Of, you know, far be it for me to ever try to speak uh, for Knicks fans, but um, I I think we're getting to that point. If we're not already there, where whether it's the organization itself or the fans, it's it's kind of that, okay, now what? What's next? All right, they've been good. They've been respectable, like to their credit, under the, under the you know, since Leon Rose came in and brought in Tibbs and they've made some good moves and the Jalen Brunson signing ended up being spectacular. But now what? Because I, I think it's safe to say, and if you ask people around the league, like there's pretty strong consensus on this. They've kind of hit their ceiling. Like this is who they are. They're a team that's going to win somewhere in the mid to high 40s, maybe maybe hit 50, and they're going to go a round or two in the playoffs, and that's it. They don't have the top-end talent to compete with Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. Um, and now you've got other teams that are like jumping up into that, into that zone, right? Like the Cavs have kind of fallen off for the, mo- for the moment, um, but they've got a lot of high-end talent, and the Magic are now on the rise. And, you know, the Pacers, it's premature, but they're coming. Um, there's just, and the heat are still sticking around and, and <laughs> stubbornly just, uh, stay in, in that, in that, that range in the, in the, around the top of these. So like, where are the Knicks in all this? Like, where, where's the path 
forward because Brunson and Randall are probably about as good as they're going to be. And unless there's a, an eventual RJ Barrett leap or somebody else, like Roger waiting for waiting. that RJ Barrett leap. Roger <laughs> waiting for that RJ Barrett leap. Let, listen, the, the bottom line is they've got that, they've got that big pile of draft picks, like a bunch of other, like not a bunch of other teams, but like they're, they're one of those teams that's like waiting, waiting for the next disgruntled star or waiting for the next opportunity. And until then, they're kind of treading water. That's the worst place to be in the middle, right, Roger? It's a tough place to live, man. I mean, you're just going to be... I, I mean, yeah, going into a season knowing that your top your top end is probably second round of the playoffs is, is tough because it's hard to really get super excited about anything at that point. And that's, you know, that's just... You know, they... they Again, not to take anything away from like you you mentioned RJ and I love RJ, right? But I, I'm I'm not I mean, I know what RJ is. Like RJ is a piece, you know, on a on a really good team, like a a, a piece that if fits. He's your number three or four, you are in great shape. Yeah, he's a solid player. Like that's a nice NBA player. Um, but you're gonna need you know, you're gonna need something else to get you over the hump. But yes, the middle, RJ the middle is a very is gonna tough be place. like he's gonna be a Chris Middleton in like seven years. Like a Chris Middleton now? No, it's Chris Middleton from like the championship level team. That's oh, what he's I was like what? All right. Yeah, that's what he's going to be. Right. I, like, I, will, I will say this, because you asked about how Knicks fans feel about this team. Like Knicks fans really love this team. Like the 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 ceiling might be a little bit lower than anybody would want, but like the grit of this team, like it's a very New York team. The way they win games, and, and they can be really frustrating. Julius Randle drives Knicks fans crazy. Um and there are times where he dominates the ball too much. There are times when Jalen Brunson, frankly, might dominate a little too much, but they don't have a lot of other places to go with it. Uh, but I think in general, like the 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 grit of this team is, you know, very appealing to to, to Knicks fans. So like they're, you know, it's 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 a really popular Knicks version of the Knicks. Uh they they just not, you know, there's just not a lot of reason to believe they're gonna go for. Anyways, playing against the Bucks where who have gone through their, you know. Ups and downs, and Rajat always says, shut up, Logan. It's too fucking early. Stop fucking saying that this is a referendum on the season. I apologize. Uh, Rajat curses at you a lot. What? <laughs> what? If I, 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 man, I said a couple curse words today. Yes, I did. Yes, yes, you did. Um, <laughs> are we, a, Are we? Howard, are we finally in a place where we can be comfortable with where the Bucks are and what they're going to be at a point in time, or are there still questions lingering out there for them in your eyes? I think it's the same questions. Um, the the Lillard Giannis lineups, and it's still early, and you know this team's been banged up a little bit. But uh, I think I got this right. Uh, the two man combo Lillard and Giannis is a plus four point eight net rating, which is kind of meh for two superstars. Um, however, those two plus Beasley, Connaughton, and Brooke Lopez is plus twenty four point eight. Might be in limited possessions, but. Um, they obviously they were slow out of the gate for a whole bunch of different reasons. Adrian Griffin's defensive schemes and needing to to kind of revert back to what they used to do under Budenholzer. Some injuries along the way. They started five and four. They're nine and two since, and the two losses are to Boston, who's great, and Chicago in overtime, and that was kind of ghastly. Uh, Crowder's missed eleven games. Middleton's missed four games. Middleton's still been. I think he's still on a minutes restriction. Like I. Like the the pieces are there, I still have you know I still have concerns about their depth. 
and just kind of the the, the defensive um, sag after swapping out Holiday for Lillard. But I'm not overly concerned with them. Like I think this team at full strength is right there in the thick of it in the East. Like I think they're fine. What do you think, Roger? You about the same? Are you on the same page with that? Yeah, I mean, clearly they got to get better defensively. Like we'll make no. They'll make no mistakes about that. Like they have to figure that out and they have to figure out what works for that group. Um, but when you have when you have Damian Lillard and and Giannis, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt in figuring that out. Like you're already playing better, things are moving in the right direction, guys have been in and out of the lineup. I, I give you the benefit of the doubt. But to be a championship level team, yeah, they're going to have to get better defensively. They're gonna have to continue to make strides. And figure it out. Like when they were when they were at their peak, like they were a really, really, really good defensive team. Obviously, Drew Holiday's not there anymore, but they have to they have to find a way to be good defensively. Not not average, but good. You know, one of the things that strikes me about this in season tournament, or at least as we get to the end, it has been a boon for the league, obviously because of the play, but also the fact that you could have any level of Giannis in there, Boston in there, in, in Vegas. Um, and you get to have one or two of this next matchup. You could either have LeBron or KD in the finals in Vegas there at at some point. So, which leads me to the last the last uh, matchup, which I am can excited. I, can to I just quickly point this out? Since, since I'm Mister Negativity on the tournament, let me just point out real quick. <laughs> all right, all right. Now that we're at the quarterfinals of the tournament, we have we do not have the reigning MVP Nikola Jokic. We do not have uh, Steph Curry. We do not have. Excuse me, the reigning MVP, Joel Embiid. We don't, don't have the defending champion, Nikola Jokic. We do not have Steph. We do not have Luka. We don't have Shea. So there's like a lot of star power that is not in the quarterfinals and, and beyond here. So yeah, there's a lot. Like if LeBron or Giannis makes it to the final, I think that's really good for the league. One of my other curiosities is what happens if we get like Pelicans, Pacers. I think that can happen, right? Um, Everyone's leaving Vegas. <laughs> it's it's just gonna it's going to be interesting. It just it ne- neither of the finals teams made it right. The Nuggets and Heat are, are neither of them are in it now. Um, I don't know. There's just there's there are some when when it's the playoffs we talk about the star power and the the best of the best going against each other in especially May and then June. And in this one, be, this the nature of it, right? Group play now, knockout rounds, whatever. Like there's a lot of. Uh, just variability here. Like you just don't know what, it, how it's going to come out. This, it's not necessarily the best rising to the top or the stars rising to the top. And as I was just noting, like a bunch of them are not in it right now. So just wanted to point that out real quick. Going into this game, Howard. <laughs> Kevin Durant is playing really, really well. Like one of the best offensive seasons of his career. I, it's just incredible. As I saw, there was a play against Raj's sons where I think it was the first uh I think it was the first uh in season tournament game where he gets a three and he shoots it over two guys and gets knocked down and it goes in. And it's like what the hell? Like he's doing this, I don't know, what is he, 35, 36? Rob, what have you seen from K D and how does that bode well for your sons? And how do you feel just 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 how do you feel about your Phoenix Suns, man? Championship contenders still after all these years. How do you feel? Um, they got some stuff to figure out. Obviously, you know, it hasn't helped that that the lineup has been really inconsistent due to injury and they've had guys in and out. It's it, they haven't really ironed out what that chemistry is going to look like offensively. And that's that's you know their strength. So if we're not going to have a full 
picture on what that looks like, I think I'm going to have to reserve judgment. I, I still think that when healthy and when firing on all cylinders offensively, they're going to be they're going to be a problem. Now, I will admit that defensively and depth wise, like there's some issues there, but that that's a lot of offense. What I've seen from KD is just a level of efficiency that is that's pretty incredible and remarkable for 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 a guy at this point in his career um, coming off of the injury that he had come off of a couple years ago. I mean, I, I would just say again, in a, in a day and an age where people think they have to do so much with the ball to just get a shot off. I mean, watch KD. Now I get it. He's 6'11", and there's some things that he could do in terms of shooting over people that ordinary people can't do. But I mean, just his game itself is based in 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 real efficiency. So like what he's doing as a scorer is is really cool to watch. When you see the Lakers, Howard, I'm going to ask this question before we get out of here. I is there a fix with this with the non-LeBron minutes, or should we just like chalk it up to this is just what it's going to be, and this is the Lakers' downfall for for all it's worth? Even how deep they are, is there wh- where do you see them at, uh, at this point of the season? And I guess I'll do a bonus question to that: Is this going to be the roster that we see in? May and April, late April. Like, wh- where do you look at the Lakers at this stage of the season? I feel like they're on borrowed time in some respects, right? Like, LeBron and Anthony Davis have played like all but one game. Like, they've been healthy, they've been pretty good. But this team is 12 and nine, which is fine. But, um, you know, and like, when you start saying, if you start trying to put up the caveats like, oh, well, they haven't had uh, Gabe Vincent much. Okay. If, if Gabe Vincent is the key to this whole thing, then you're in trouble anyway. Like Gabe Vincent's a good player and great pickup in the off season. He's only played four games, but like, that's not it. Right. If you're talking about, they just need more minutes for, you know, you know, a new defensive ace, Cam Reddish or Max Christie or whatever, like, all right. Yeah. There are ways they can probably uh, improve themselves defensively with the way they uh, put together the rotation. But yeah, they, They've got some issues offensively, despite having two of the greatest offensive players of the last 10 years. And and in LeBron's case, of course, one of the greatest offensive players of all time. Um, but he's turning 39 in a couple weeks here. And like it is what it is. Like they're 24th in offensive efficiency. There's not enough out of the D'Angelo Russell, you know, uh Austin Reeves, Torin Prince, what like you just not getting enough out of that group so is there a consolidation trade to be made um is uh, you know is, is there like the, the the favorite rumor of the summer or not rumor the favorite bit of speculation long has been like well Kyrie and the mavericks that's a marriage of convenience they were the one team that could pay him and needed to pay him or needed him so they paid him over the summer but is is, is the luca Kyrie thing really going to be the way forward for them but they've gotten off to a pretty good start and so you figure they're probably sticking with the plan but that was that was one that was like, I'm not, I don't know. It's, it's not dream. even like a, yeah, I don't, it, it's one of those you just kind of keep an eye on. If, if things went badly for both teams between now and the trade deadline, is that a possibility? Maybe. But if it's not him, like, who are you going to get? Who are you packaging D'Angelo Russell and a future first and some other stuff with to get who? But yeah, they need, so, they need more, more shot creation. They need more scoring punch. No, I mean, not a loss, not a lost cause, but needs help. Cause needs help. Cause needs help. I've been trying to tell you all needs help. 
I was really ready to jump on. I was jumping off on the deep end with the Lakers to start the season. I was I was pretty bought in. I was I was there. And now I mean it's not that they're not a good team. I know not it's dreadful. They they are a really good team. I'm just like this is not sustainable right now cuz we're they're playing for April and May, and May and June and when you do that in a perfect case scenario they need to be winning games weirdly to say without LeBron and Anthony Davis, they need to be blowing out teams and like the, the perfect case scenario, they win 53 something games and they have like two or three blowouts a year where LeBron is getting ice on his, on his, on his knees in third or beginning of the fourth quarter. And that's just not happening. It, need, that's it needs not to gonna look, happen. It needs to look convincing, man. Like it needs to look convincing. Yeah. The product out there needs to look convincing, right? For, for them to, and it just doesn't, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting by, but like it, you can look at it and say, mm, yeah, I don't, I think we're going to need a little bit more than that. The 360 layups are nice, though. The, the, that hey, he's remarkable. Like, that's remarkable. Oh, my God. Yeah. There have been, like, seven plays from LeBron this year where I'm like, no one else can do that. And he's 38 years old. Yeah. It's insane. He's been amazing. Uh, he's yeah. been amazing. But, yeah, it, it is all, the, like, at some point, it's inevitable he and or Anthony Davis are going to get banged up. And there's, they're going to miss, you know, a few games or a week or two. And what are they during that time? You know, what are the Lakers without them? And can they... It, it's still the same thing, right? It, this group, a, as it stands, if healthy, in mid-April, all right, they've got a shot to do something. I'm not how far get, I'm sure how far it gets them, but um, you got to think they're looking for for reinforcements along the way. And that is how you play the game. Um, that has been another edition of Motherfucking Mondays with Howard Motherfucking Beck. Um, housekeeping, me and Raja and some special guests are going to be in Vegas on Wednesday at the Jimmy Kimmel Theater. Um, make sure you get your tickets if they are still available. That is at the link, the Jimmy Kimmel Theater in Vegas. Um, doors open, I think, at 7, show at 8. Come tap in with us, man. Come holler at your boys, you know? I can't wait to see you, Raja. Cannot wait to see you, bud. I wish and I could say the same. All right, well, fuck you then. That was in another edition of Motherfucking Mondays. We will see you in Vegas on Wednesday, and we will see Howard next Monday. Tap in all the shits. Ah, bye. Must be 21 years and older and president in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit KS Gambling Help in Kansas 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana visit MD Gambling Help 
1-800-GAMBLER.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or visit 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at Ugg.com.